If you're making more money sitting home than you are going to work, who in the wide world of sports is going to go to work? We're talking about trillions of dollars that we want to have passed, which is going to be on the back of the American public. Someone has to pay for this at some point. This chicken's going to come home to roost, like a lot of chickens are coming home to roost in America today. All you've got to do is turn on a 24-hour news network. That's right, we didn't have that when we had these other problems. We didn't have them muddying the waters and representing different uh, political parties' agendas. We've decided to politicize this, this virus, and it's caused an immense amount of confusion, and it's undermined the confidence of the people in this country. From one end of this country to the other, of every news media affiliation and political affiliation, and no one stepped up to the plate to address this egregious living condition that the minorities face every day. It's not about critical race theory. This is just about the truth. We need to bring them into parity here. We need to invest in the minority community so they believe in us again. Welcome to Between the Lines, and I'm your host, Lou Palumbo. As always, there's never a shortage of controversial issues, and today is no different. Today, we're going to discuss evictions that are looming across the country. New York City's new policy requiring proof of vaccination to enter restaurants and fitness centers, and if America has become soulless. I'm happy to report to you that we have picked up two great uh, sponsors, Instacart and Buzzsprout. The mechanisms attached to them, which are very user-friendly, and special offers that are attached when you go onto our website, betweenthelines.tv. Uh, you can find us on Spotify and Apple, and you can also watch us on our website and on YouTube. So uh, let's get into the show today. Hello. Hi, Lou. Hi. Wh- who am I speaking with? This is Justine. Justine. Yes. And where are you from, Justine? I am from Clifton Park, New York. Um, what is it you do for a living, may I, may I inquire? Hi. Um, well, I was in the restaurant business for probably over 20 years. I left during the shutdown, and now I am sort of self-employed, and I've been doing some contracting work and painting houses, and I sing in bands in the weekends. <laughs> well, you, you're quite a versatile young lady, I might, <laughs> might know here. <laughs> I guess you adapted, to put it to you politely, right? That's part well, of the survival mechanism. Stop and change on a dime. Right. And as you know, a lot of people who left the restaurant business um, said they're not ever going back. I am one of those people. Yeah. Very good. You have a question, obviously, for me today. Well, yeah, and then it's concerning sort of the, the evictions. And I've been reading, you know, other people's opinions. And, you know, I, I saw a couple takes where this is some sort of uh, collusion between uh big banks in government to when, you know, landlords and owners default to swoop in and buy up the property. And along with other articles I've been reading of, of investors, big investors, Wall Street, black companies like BlackRock coming in and buying up all sorts of homes in, you know, suburban areas. So um, banking that people aren't going to want to own homes anymore. And these are interesting points that you that you uh, brought to the forefront. The first thing I do want to say to you is that um, I don't believe there's any collusion with the banks uh, to acquire these properties because it's been common knowledge that the federal government frowns on the banking industry being in the real estate industry, and we actually got burnt to that, burnt by that uh, not too long ago. Um, they got involved with a lot of foreclosures. They were holding a lot of real estate and. The rest, the rest of that discussion is uh, something for perhaps another day. Um, in reference to the current eviction process, if that's what you're alluding to, is that one of your concerns? 
Justine? Um, yeah, well, you know, you just, there's certain takes. Well, you know, even that the CDC, it's not even constitutional. They're, they're having a deciding factor as far as this goes. Okay, so let me be more specific. You know, hit me with your direct question, if you, if you would, so I can bite into this for you. Well, what is your take on, on companies, big investment companies, buying up real estate in mass amounts right now? I would say it's, it's nothing out of the norm. You know, uh, the question is, and I think this is what you're concerned about, is it predatory behavior, am I right? Yes, correct. That's, yeah, and I would have to say to you, there's probably a tinge of that uh, that's there. You know, they, they're, they're looking for weaknesses in people's portfolios or their, their investments in real estate. And oftentimes these larger conglomerations, like one you alluded to, uh, will take advantage of that and go in and, and acquire these properties. But that's just part of, part of business. If I could just speak to this eviction issue, you know, quite briefly, and I had a discussion earlier with my colleagues, one of whom happens to be uh, a lawyer. Um, you know, what's so interesting is that um, there was really never any discussion on the front end of this policy to put on hold any eviction and foreclosure um, on tenants or, for that matter, property owners whose real estate was owned by the bank. There was nothing looked at long term. And the real deficiency that I see is that we were concerned about the people renting, for example, and people who owned apartments, but we weren't concerned about the owners of these apartments. So while we're listening to everybody asking for a stay on the evictions, that's a wonderful, noble concept, but it's on the backs of the building owner. The question I have for the government is why wasn't there a discussion about how to protect the property owner, the building owner. For example, if I own a building with 10 apartments and each apartment, the debt service is $500 per apartment. I rent them for a thousand. It's just math. I have a $500 per month gross profit. Now we're not suggesting, or I'm not suggesting that the government come in and pay them not only their debt service on the apartment, but their profit margin, but at least cover the debt service, which there's never been a discussion related to that. I think the same thing is applied to the business owners, and in particular in restaurants, if I'm correct, Justine. A lot of the business owners of restaurants, for example, uh, were forced into shutting down because of the pandemic and the manner in which the government managed it, and that's open to discussion as well. And subsequently, they were left out in the cold. There should have been some discussion regarding making them whole again. In other words... You don't necessarily have to give them their full profit margin, but let's say, for example, your gross sales for a month of October were $100,000, right? Why not give them at least 80% of that to keep them viable and to encourage them to continue to pay employees as a proviso of getting that money? We'd have less people on unemployment, right? And we wouldn't be in this quagmire of trying to get people back to work. Do you understand what I just said, Justine? This is a little bit called thinking outside the box, which didn't occur here. And I would say it applied not only in Trump's administration, but it's happening now. But if you understand what I suggested, at the end of the day, I think it would have been cheaper than putting everybody on a, uh, on a uh, unemployment roll call. And now we can't get them to go back to work because it's not economically feasible. If you're, getting, if you're making more money sitting home than you are going to work, who in the wide world of sports is going to go to work? 
No one. And we're experiencing that. So I think there was a lack of really um, forethought and, and viewing a down-the-road scenario that we're facing right now. If I understand this correctly, if you owed $1,000 a month on an apartment and you didn't have to pay it for 12 months and suddenly the eviction uh, clause is rescinded, you now owe the landlord $12,000. Am I right? And attached to that, if the bank owns a building that you and I own and our debt service on that bank is $12,000 a month and we got a stay of execution financially, after a year we owe them $144,000. And you see, none of this was talked about. And the other question I have to be very candid with you, we're talking about trillions of dollars that we want to have passed which is going to be on the back of the American public. Someone has to pay for this at some point. This chicken's going to come home to roost like a lot of chickens are coming home to roost in America today. I'm just curious. I know we don't like to read these bills. You know, I don't want to pick on Nancy Pelosi, but we'll sign it and then read it later. I think that was the Obama health care plan. And we're suggesting we do the same thing here. But I just want to know, have any monies, any funding been set aside to help building owners, to help people that owned restaurants. I mean, are we just concerned about a very small demographic of America who we believe is the massive part of our voting base? You know, this is, again, on the cusp of pandering and patronization to people that vote for us. So um, I I am aware, interestingly enough, that there's been a 30-day extension on the eviction and um, foreclosure process, but I'm just trying to figure out what's going to change in 30 days. You know, and I have to ask another question. You know, why did this administration rely on the CDC to facilitate this extension? I, I just don't understand any of this. You know, and to be very candid with you, um, what's attached to this show that you're actually on with me right now is the fact that we are all entitled to something better than this. Starting with our children, I speak to issues every day, Justine, that are just out of balance. They're out of whack, whether it's gun control or borders you know, any any number of issues. It's all on the backs of our children, and so will this be. This is financially going to carry on for decades, and our children are going to inherit this mess and, and the mess this country is going to be in. I do want to ask you, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that explanation was satisfactory, and it's just my opinion. Let me say that to you. Uh, but I do want to know, do you have a, you have a, a follow-up question or, or a, a comment, perhaps? Um, no, that's it. You were very thorough. Thank you for your... Your opinion and your I, you know, explanation. I, to be honest with you, I, I don't, I'm not exactly a rocket scientist, and I've had the pleasure of having one on recently, so I know exactly how smart they are. But um, this was a lot of common sense to me and a little bit of problem solving and thinking outside the box, which is, again, going back to the purpose of the show. We're not here to criticize and tear people down. We're here to examine problems, constructively criticize them, and then offer you a solution, which is not happening in America today. I want to make one final closing comment to you. I know they're battering you over the head every day with crime statistics in our major cities. Like, you go week to week listening to Chicago. Two weekends ago was 73 shootings. Last weekend it was 51 shootings. We just hear this every week. Has anybody offered any form of addressment to that the same way as anybody offered any form of addressment for building owners or restaurant owners or people that were invested in restaurants. I, I don't see any solutions going on here. All I listen to is a lot of rhetoric every day and throat cutting verbally, which isn't productive. So, listen, I want to thank you for uh, calling in, Justine. And um, I, I hope that you, you do call back and, um, you know, participate with us again. Uh, we're going to go to a short break, ladies and gentlemen.
I'm going to thank our sponsors, and I want to remind everyone that you can find us on BetweenTheLines.tv. You can listen to more shows there, find out news, and uh, please feel free to participate as well. We'd like to hear some of your questions. We'll be right back. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show, and to learn more about them, go to our BetweenTheLines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly, and as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good, and as I said, we use them. Instacart, another interesting concept. You can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home, comfort of your home just pick out the items you'd like they'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to another great concept very user-friendly and i'll be honest we use it also it's very effective and they're very very good they're very uh, on point hello lou ryan long time how are you oh zip zippity doodah trying to figure out what what's going on in this country yeah, of today I feel like every time I talk to you, the world is in a crazier place. Yeah, I unfortunately, I, I think there's some truth attached to that. You know, it doesn't seem to be getting better. Uh, we don't seem to be problem solving. We're real good at criticizing. I can tell you that much, but we're not real good at problem solving. But I gather you called to twist my horns this morning about something. <laughs> What's kind of crazy is I always consider myself a New Yorker at heart, being there nine years, going to college there, is I would love to know their new... New York City now will require proof of vaccination against COVID-19 to enter all restaurants and fitness centers. In your opinion, is this excessive? Is it an evasion of privacy? Or is it exactly what's needed to combat this virus in such a huge populated city? Well, it's asinine to be very candid with you because it's something that's almost unenforceable. If I understand this correctly, you can go on the Internet and buy these cards that give you verification of vaccination. So what's, you know, there has to be some type of standard imposed. So there's legitimacy attached to this. So, you know, this is kind of like police ID cards, which we deal with. You know, all of them have holograms today. But I wouldn't know what a, a, an ID card looks like from Wichita, Kansas Police Department, you know, if they, they dropped it in my lap today. And the same thing's going to happen with these vaccination cards. So I happen to have one myself when I was uh, vaccinated. After the second vaccine, they put on a card for me, which I carry in my wallet, uh, the dates of the vaccination, and I guess some other pertinent informations. But I don't know how they plan on enforcing this. I mean, are they going to have some type of scanning mechanism, like with your passport and your driver's license, where we can determine legitimacy? You know, I, I don't understand what this is about. But I think there's another discussion here, Ryan, and, and that lends itself to um, – and this is something Governor DeSantis uh, made reference to in Florida about disrupting and destroying the economy and people's livelihoods for a minuscule percentage of the population that are expiring from this virus today, number one. And I think we've identified that the targeted demographic is um, younger people. And we do know that um, if you have been vaccinated and you do have the misfortune of uh, contracting the virus, that the symptoms are minuscule, the tantamount to getting a cold for all intents and purposes, with, as they say, zero risk of death, uh, serious illness, and hospitalization. So, you know, I, I'm confused as to what the politicians 
are attempting to do here. The really tragic part in this discussion is that the American public does not know which way to turn. And that's the byproduct of politicizing this virus from the outset and weaponizing it to un undermine the credibility of a political or presidential administration. We're left here wondering, should we get vaccinated or should we not? So, you know, you and I have a discussion now about other uh, viruses that have um, plagued the country. Polio, right? Scarlet fever, mumps, measles. Any ones you can think of, Ryan, off the top of your head? Other than those I just mentioned? No, I mean, those are the main ones. Um, but you also, you brought up something I wasn't thinking about. Like, who, who these are going to be like kids or like restaurant workers checking these vaccination cards. I mean, with today's computers and scanners and, you know, Adobe, anyone can create a vaccination card. Absolutely. It's, gonna become, it's just almost going to become like a joke, but it's going to become the fake IDs of, of college kids. Well, you know, but let me, let me just gloss over something for you that, you know, I'm not reluctant to speak about, but I, I don't want this to reflect poorly on anyone. This past New Year's Eve, I was in Times Square with Anderson Cooper for the 15th year. He's a great guy, by the way. And uh, CNN's been my client since 1996. Of course, we, re we were required to be COVID tested. The whole COVID testing process unto itself is a joke. I don't know how else to say it to you. Depending on who you go to. You get results for one thing. You get results for another. There's false positives. There's false negatives. One test, you can get an immediate response. Another one, you've got to wait, you know, uh, three days or a certain window of time. We, we just can't see how, see the forest for the trees here. You know, now we're embarking on rapid testing people, right? You know, so if you're not vaccinated, we're going to rapid test you. I think we need to take a really close look at how accurate these rapid tests are. And a lot of it is predicated on who's administering these tests, their area of expertise, their background, say, in, in science or medicine or something. This has become a three-ring circus. But where I was going with this, Ryan, we spoke about um, these other viruses or, or medical conditions that have plagued the country. I don't think we went through this whole repertoire of the American public being compelled to choose sizes, sides, excuse me, to choose sides as to vaccinate or don't vaccinate as a rule, with the exception of people that had, say, had, had religious conviction. Everybody just went out and believed what the government said, and they got vaccinated for polio, for scarlet fever, for mumps, for measles, for what was that, the H1N1 flu? I mean, when, when suddenly did it become difficult for the American public to figure out what the truth is? And this ties into another bigger discussion, and you guys know I'm famous for going off on tangents. All you've got to do is turn on a 24-hour news network. That's right. We didn't have that when we had these other problems. We didn't have them muddy in the waters and representing different political parties' agendas. We've decided to politicize this, this virus, and it's caused an immense amount of confusion, and it's undermined the confidence of the people in this country, to which we have a responsibility to reassure and guide them through darkness. I missed, I missed the exercise here, guys. You know, part of what offends me so much is I've spent a lifetime problem-solving. No is not a word in my vocabulary. You know, I also live by pick-and-choose battles, things of that nature. So you're prudent in, in things that you pursue. But at the end of the day, this has turned into a three-ring circus. And the American public is left here scratching its head, depending on its political affiliation, as to whether or not they should get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. And then the younger demographic are just running hog wild. That's the truth of the matter. So... I don't know where to go with this at this point as far as the city of New York and putting into place 
this stunt about if you're going to go to the garden, a restaurant, a movie theater, an athletic training facility, you have to come in with proof of vaccination. You know, the people that are the pros at replicating documents are our young people. Just look at the driver's licenses they seem to be able to acquire in record numbers when they want to prove themselves old enough to consume alcohol. This is going to this is a joke. You know, let's let's have a more intelligent conversation at some point in time, reintroduce some decency and civility and try to problem solve instead of trying to throw things against the wall to see if they'll stick because that's what we're doing right now. So, and I just I just want to uh, ask this question. So, does this mean that Children under 12 years old can't eat out because they're not vaccinated? That's a great question. Um, I was curious about that myself. How does that work? I don't understand what the political agenda is, but you know what it is? There's just a lack of clear thinking here. You know, I, there's another question. We don't want to have voter ID, but we want to have vaccine ID. <laughs> I'm confused once again. I mean, there's already a mass exodus of people leaving New York. This might be another just kick in the butt where, like, parents might just throw their hands up in the air and say, all right, like, we're done here. Like, we're moving on. You know, tragically, and you guys know my background intimately from my flapping of my lips. You know, I love I love New York. I love the city of New York. I was born and raised there. I went to grammar school, high school, and college there. I've been involved in the law enforcement community I, I love no place like I've loved the city of New York, and I, I recognize all its assets and all its liabilities. I, I recognize the impact of living there when they say product of your environment. Look and listen to me. I'm what we call prima facie evidence. Um, but this place is toxic now, and it's toxic for a number of reasons. There's a lack of leadership, and it's resonating not just throughout the city but throughout the state. And this, you know, what we're talking about right now, Ryan, with this thing about come prove you're vaccinated with a card, you know, it's just another example. So it's time for a change. Interestingly enough, Obama spoke about change. I didn't see much change with him, um, but, you know, he spoke about time for a change and it's time for a change right now in the leadership of the city and this state. So um, you know, any any follow up comment? Uh, Ryan, on your end, any further observations? No, but I mean, you brought up a good point. I mean, our parents going to start bringing birth certificates to restaurants. I mean, you know, where does this, where, where does it begin? Where does it end? Um, and also, yeah, it, it has really become a three ring circus. I mean, at this point, you know, just a comment on the mass exodus from New York. And by the way, let's not forget California. Um, you know, the concerns in other parts of this country is that it's not so much that you're coming to another state to live. They're worried about bringing your politics and sometimes your rudeness, which is can be misconstrued as directness. I'm guilty of that myself. I'm very direct. A lot of people consider that rude. But, you know, if you do leave New York, I just want to say wherever you end up going, try to relax, you know, immerse yourself into the people and the culture. I can tell you from my own experience, my mother was a Southerner. My wife is a Southerner. You know, you just have to come down and relax with people and stop trying to impose your paths of thought on everyone as if you might know all the answers to everything because you know i i listen to people make reference and this is i've gone on a tangent guys and i apologize but i want to make a very interesting point here you know i take exception to them referring to people in the south as rednecks i got it so they didn't go to ivy league schools you know they're not the best of the brightest as referred to in the kennedy administration i have only one thing to say to everyone 
look what all the smart people have done to us, okay? In any case, we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to hit a couple of emails from our viewers. See you in a second. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to our betweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart, another interesting concept. You can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home comfort of your home just pick out the items you'd like they'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to another great concept very user-friendly and i'll be honest we use it also it's very effective and they're very very good they're very uh, on point welcome back ladies and gentlemen i'm lou palumbo you've been listening to between the lines you can find us at between the lines.tv uh, I do want to mention, again, uh, you can also view us on Apple and Spotify. You can go onto YouTube and onto our site. So uh, I encourage you to do so. I also encourage you to get involved and, and participate. So we're going to go to some emails, and I think the first one is from Morty. And Morty's from Laguna Niguel, beautiful part of California, Southern California. I know it well. Um, he said, you have said on your show a couple of times, America does not have a soul and perhaps never did. What does that mean? I think America does have a soul, and it's defined by liberty. It is working class, entrepreneurs, and our prolific inventors. What else in this world would you, where else in this world would you rather live if you think America is soulless? First, let me say this. This is not an issue of thinking there's someplace better to live than America, but the truth is the truth. And when I make comments that America may never have had a soul and we're in search of our soul, you nearly, you just simply need to examine the past and look at it truthfully. You know, we ethnically cleansed an entire people from this, from this uh, part, of, part of this continent, the North American continent. Some of our um, historic leaders, including presidents, were just animals in dealing with the indigenous people. My mother happens to be legitimately of Cherokee Indian descent. She from, was from Arkansas. What's, what I find interesting as well is that um, we somehow entertained slavery, and this was done by people who came from a position of oppression at the hands of Great Britain. So we liberated ourselves from the oppression of Great Britain, and then we saw fit to basically create some form of incarceration for an ethnic group. If you can tell me there's a soul attached to that, I'm listening. Um, our, our policies, even, even today, are problematic. I don't want to get political, and I don't want to pick on particular presidents or politicians, but this notion of insinuating ourselves into parts of the world that have a, a um, cultural disconnect with us, is just Ill, ill-conceived and soulless. When you send our children overseas to fight in lands where the people, they couldn't find their backside with both hands if they had to. And I'm making reference to Vietnam, and I do not mean to be disrespectful to the government, to the people, but comparatively speaking to Western civilization, you know, they're just trying to get through the day. We, we slaughtered 57,000 Americans there. We now got involved in the Middle East, insinuating ourselves there. And the reason is suspect. 
I cannot say definitively and unequivocally that it was driven by money, but I got a feeling it was. You know, we formed a coalition of which none of the Middle Eastern countries participated in, but we saw fit to address Iraq and then Afghanistan, you know, and I'm just sitting here scratching my head. Oh, that's right. We killed thousands of more young Americans, and now we've got the highest suicide rate on our hands of returning veterans in the history of the country. Approximately 25 a day are killing themselves. We have no plan to reassimilate them. We have no plan to treat them through the VA. And you think the country has a soul? The thing that's wonderful about this country is it's resilient. We can stop on a dime and change direction. We have to start probing our motivation and our agenda, which I direct that comment to some in the media and some of the elected officials, not all of them. There are very well-intended, competent, intelligent individuals in the media. I don't mind mentioning Nora O'Donnell. This woman is a highly sophisticated thinker, very, very put together, just very smart, very poised. We do have elected officials that I would like to, to mention as well. And they're on both sides of the aisle, by the way, folks. What's left the conversation is civility and decency, which are things that are present if you have a soul. So when I make these comments, these are food. this is food for thought. And if you don't think we need to question our past, and not from the standpoint of making people pay for it today, but to learn from it, then you're just misguided. You need to look at this country as it is and be better the next day. It's not the point of making mistakes, which we've made innumerable mistakes through the course of time, but what you do going forward. That's it. You learn from the past, mistakes, non-mistakes, and you continue to push forward. That's what this journey's about, not to linger. You know, part of what's going on in the country today is that there's an acknowledgement of the harm slavery did to us culturally, and in particular, to an ethnic group. And now we're trying to make the people of modern time pay for the sins of forefathers. I hate to break it to everybody, but my father's parents came off the boat in the late 1800s. What the hell did they have to do with slavery? After we emancipated the slaves, we did nothing to properly assimilate them into the culture and into the mainstream of America. We compartmentalized them the same way we did the indigenous people. Someone please tell me I'm wrong. We put the indigenous people on things called reservations. I know because I've worked there. For people who are unaware of this, I worked for Mr. and Mrs. Sinatra starting in 1990, and we had golf classics out in Palm Springs, and some of them occurred on Indian reservations. I'm not talking out of school here, folks. We did the same thing with the minorities. We put them up in, you know, compartments like Brooklyn North, you know, Bedford-Stuyvesant and Brownsville, for example, or Harlem, or sections of the Bronx, and then we just dismissed their existence. That is soulless, folks. And guess what? We're still doing it today. I'm listening to everybody run their mouth from one end of this country to the other, of every news media affiliation and political affiliation, and no one step up to the plate to address this egregious living condition that the minorities face every day. It's not about critical race theory. This is just about the truth. We need to bring them into parity here. We need to invest in the minority community so they believe in us again. So if you're questioning whether or not we have a soul, I just say objectively look at this country's history. Look at the way we're doing business today, and you tell. come back and tell me. Um, I guess that's the answer to that question. Um, Please do not misconstrue my love for this country, my appreciation, 
the fact that, like most Americans, I don't take it for granted. I've traveled throughout the world. I've had a very good, I've had a great journey. I've traveled in South America, which is an eye-opener. I've traveled in Europe and other parts in North America. I've been in Mexico. We have it by the horns here. We just don't know that. You know, I, I always remind people about two things in life we should never do. One is squander time, and the other is take things for granted. I hope I didn't offend anyone with my comments, not that I really care, because I'm not out here trying to win a popularity contest. I'm just trying to tell you the truth, which is a departure from the norm. Okay, guys, we're going we're gonna to close the show shortly, and I want to thank everyone for calling in. I want to thank everybody for the emails. I hope I satisfactorily addressed these questions or concerns. And um, I hope you all come back next week. And I encourage you to go betweenthelines.tv where you can find us. And I do want to speak briefly to Instacart and Buzzsprout. Instacart is a very user-friendly app on your phone. You go onto that app. You choose the store that you like to do business with. And they will literally go in, assign a personal shopper, collect those items that you like and deliver them to a place you'd like them delivered to. I don't know how much easier you can make it. I, I actually use it myself. In fact, I used it uh, two days ago. Um, but the Instacart does work. And Buzzsprout, it just, it's, it's a, a platform that makes the creation of your own podcast user-friendly. We use it ourselves. And I encourage you that if you have any inclination to want to have your voice heard and you want to create a podcast... Uh, I would tell you employ the services of Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. Very high marks, very good ratings. So. And that's it for today, ladies and gentlemen. For now, we're going to close, and we'll see you again next week. I'm Lou Palumbo, and this has been Between the Lines. Thank you. Thank you.